Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. And it's our second annual Easter extravaganza in which we take a Christian festival and belittle it. So, (laughs) this year, we're looking at uh, a rather fantastic film called Left Behind, uh, starring Nicolas Cage. Yes, not the Kirk Cameron original. (laughs) Well, well. Oh? Maybe. Maybe. What? Oh, shit, I didn't watch it. Was I supposed to watch that? A bit of both. (laughs) No, but I did. (laughs) Oh! I did a little bit of extra research. Ooh, Kino. Ah. Alan, did you read the book? (laughs) (laughs) The Bible, the good book. (laughs) The, the, The big book. No, the Left Behind book. It's the first of a series of about 14 books. I thought that Alan would have done his <laughs> his bit for the research, but no. I watched this shit film, all right? I did my bit. <laughs> as, a, as a kind of broad statement, this film, compared to what we watched last year, which was God's Not Dead, God's Not Dead 2, mm. surely alive, um, <laughs> this film felt a lot less preachy, a lot less kind of obvious, um, in its uh, message, its propaganda Christianity message. But then at the same time, that left it feeling a bit kind of confused. I'm not sure what this film was trying to say. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. Because uh, it was, obviously, because you you, uh, you picked this, Sol's uh, Easter special. Um, so, you know, you, we, you presented it to me as a sort of Christian uh, propaganda thing. I think if I just watched this blank, I might not have got that message. I might because this could just as easily be anti-Christian. I think. Well, the, the the book is one of these bits of Christian propaganda. Left behind the movie from two thousand, the first adaptation of the book, which I watched, is one of these low-budget "God's Not Dead" affairs. Left behind the the one we're we're uh, mostly going to be talking about is. Um, it's like a big budget mainstream remake of that. I think it was made with a sort of all the Christians will turn up to it attitude, but hey, maybe we can get some mainstream people on board. I, I'd love to know. I, I I couldn't find any word either way, but I'd love to know if the director and people like that are, are religious or not. Well, I, just while you mentioned the director, mm. I have seen this film before because of the director, because this is the directorial debut of Vic Armstrong, who is the second unit director on a lot of Bond films, and a stunt double who we will all have seen because he was Harrison Ford's stunt double in, um, I think, one, two, or even all three of the original Indiana Jones films. Mm. Back He's in very the 80s. famous. He's, he's one of the few sort of stuntmen whose name I recognise, so he's obviously a very famous one. Right, yeah. <laughs> and and this, I think he, he must be about 60-odd years old um, when he's making this film, but after a lot of years doing second unit stuff, mainly on action films, this was his first ever, uh, yeah, feature film in the, in the main seat. But as far as whether or not he's, you know, a devout religious fanatic and all that, I have never uh, come across any evidence of that, which I wonder is if that's part of the reason why the film comes across kind of muddled. He is English, not American, lest we forget. So um, mm. English people don't really do religious fanaticism. Mm. Um, certainly not Christian ones. Not really. Mm. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, there's a few anomalies, but it's not. They're mostly yeah. shouting at people outside Brixton Tube Station. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So do you, do either of you know? Well, Sol, you seem to know a bit more than I do. What what's the story behind the film? Then is there is this is there any uh, more information? I I think the books were very successful. I think they made a lot of money. They made about fifteen of them. Yeah, it's a long long series of these things, and they made a good at least three of the straight to video movies based on the book series. I get the impression that the Kirk Cameron film is much closer to the plot of the book, uh, just because it feels a lot messier and like chapter one of an ongoing thing that doesn't <laughs> conclude in any way, and it feels a lot more young adult and like Harry Potterish. It just has a load of bullshit, <laughs> like just nonsense that's like weird, weird plot threads and things. Whereas the Nicolas Cage one feels a lot more like a big standalone blockbuster. Um, I'm not entirely sure how the Nicolas Cage one came about. I, I do think it was just pure financially driven. One one of the um, things, uh, uh, one of the aspects that l- di- there's a disconnect between the whole Christian propaganda thing and the movie is that we spend the majority of the movie with the people who are not the devout yeah. Christians. They are specifically left mm. behind because they did are not you know, uh, believing yeah. enough. And they are also yeah. specifically, as you would expect in any film, they are a protagonist. They, they, we grow to like them. They do good things. They do brave things. They learn from their mistakes. Mm. All the things you expect from a, a character arc. So the fact that at the end, they're still like, well, enjoy your purgatory, fuckers. <laughs> it's, <a bit laughs> it's quite an anti-God message, isn't it? Well, that's what it feels. That's what I mean. That's what it feels like. Because if we if we establish that this film takes place in a world where God exists and the and the the good are raptured, then and this is what's left. But it's just like, well, these are good people. These are normal people. What sort of God would turn these these people from his gates? To me, this feels like a film made by someone who's quite anti-religion, but has to kind of pretend they're making a pro-religious film. It, mm. it, it stuff like the uh, one of the main uh, women at the start goes up to someone in an airport who, like a a mad Christian, who's going on about this and that, and just shoots them down with a load of logic. And the film doesn't present it like, oh, what a knobhead. The film presents it like. Yeah, take that, Christian. <laughs> and 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 so you sort of spend the rest of the film waiting for her to get her comeuppance and have some humility drilled into her and and sort of have to kind of realize the error of her ways. And it never really, never really comes. Um, mm. Well, one of the things that I did read online was that they were trying to make a non-preachy Christian film. Mm. Um, but it doesn't... I, I think in the first, the only character... Actually, I guess there are two, but um, Marty McFly's uh, mum, she's sort of <laughs> pro- a positive portrayal of a is that, Christian... Is that award-winning actor, Leah Thompson? <laughs> oh, there we go. Award-winning, really? <laughs> she must have done. She's been around for years. In oh. this, it's, I mean, it's basically a cameo in this, isn't she? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I think she's a bit she's a bit of a big name for them to be getting in. They spent all their money on Nicolas Cage, and after that it's like we've got nothing mm-hmm. left. Well, we can get her in for a small part. Well, they've got Chad Michael Murray as well. <laughs> Bring in the, the uh I guess the, I was gonna say youngsters, but he was in One Tree Hill, wasn't he? And um I know him from the two thousand and five House of Wax. I mean I I'm sure you know, they they definitely could have afforded uh Leah Thompson as well. I'm not saying they couldn't. It's just that I doubt they wanted to spend the sort of money to 
you know, she probably costs enough that you only get her in for a couple of scenes. Mm. They're not going to be making a film that has a significant part for a woman in her 50s or 60s. I mean, that's a ridiculous idea. <laughs> uh, so just put her in a small role. She did seem like a significant enough face that she would turn up like, you know, two films down the line or whatever and when we actually go to heaven and see where everyone is or, or whatever. Um, okay, so the closest thing we have to a protagonist is uh, Nicolas Cage. And um, just just uh, talking on, about the, where... Uh, the... Isn't the, the girl the protagonist? Well... Nicolas Cage's daughter. I was going to talk a little bit more about the director and where his impulse to focus is because it certainly isn't on the religious side of things and the things that mostly I, I think he mostly connects with here are I mean first of all the random bits of stunt work that occur throughout the film but also like there's this story about Nicolas Cage has been cheating on his wife and he's not turning up to his birthday party because he wants to go and see you 2 in London instead <laughs> um, which do you think they were raptured? You too. Oh God! Yeah, no they're way. All, they're very they're very godly. But yet, but I think what you're saying, Calvin, is that we 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 flip between two stories, really, don't we? The one in the plane and the one on the ground, led by the the daughter. And yet, as the film goes on, it becomes this sort of dramatic. Oh, the plane is it going to crash? Or is it not going to crash? Kind of thing. And the stuff yeah. on the ground kind of gets a little bit forgotten about until she sort of comes in at the end to help them out <laughs> the stuff on the ground is basically she's out at the mall with her little brother is it yes. uh, and then he's raptured and then everyone immediately starts looting <laughs> yes. uh, everyone goes, going nuts yeah yeah and then she's like desperately trying to get home <laughs> and we just have these um vignettes of her running into these awful people like crashing cars and shooting other people and is it this one or the straight to video one that i watched that has the guy on an airplane as soon as the rapture happens someone's like i've got to get out of here and like runs over to the door and starts trying to open the emergency exit on the airplane and then other people have oh, to I like think that's that this in one this one i think so i don't know it, I, it was I, in one I, of them. I stopped I, I lost interest. I mean, it's quite clear from watching this film that Nicolas Cage filmed his scenes in, do you think, two days? <laughs> maybe, maybe less? In he a has, green like, box one scene with, with his daughter in the airport. <laughs> <laughs> he has one scene with his daughter in the airport, and then for most of the rest of the movie, he is just stuck in the cockpit, not really interacting with anyone else. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then much of the film is just... We get to know the passengers on this plane who all have their own stories to tell. Yeah. My favorite one being, at one point there's a woman who waits several hours. I think her daughter has been raptured or something. And then she just finds a gun from somewhere. I can't remember exactly where. And starts pointing at people saying, what do you want? What do you want? And it's literally five minutes of her saying, what do you want? What do you want? And people saying like... What are you talking about? We didn't take your daughter. What do you want? What do you want? What does he want? And it's like five minutes of that. It's mind-numbing. <laughs> and there's a lot of, I reckon it's aliens. Aliens? Are you crazy? Hey, <laughs> is it any crazier than what we're seeing right here? Yeah. I think they've all gone invisible. Whoa, that's <laughs> dumb. Is it any more dumb than anything else? Yeah, because you yeah. can see the clothes <laughs> fell down as if no one was there. It wasn't like an invisible person wearing clothes, you fuckwit. Jesus Christ, <laughs> how stupid are you? This is when they try to blame the Muslim guy. Yeah! Like, it's a terrorist so attack! 
<laughs> but then, well, this is actually, uh, I mean, I did note that um, every, when the rapture happens, we're half an hour in to this film mm. at that point. It's not like a particularly long film. So up to that point, it's just sort of building the character of Nicolas Cage, the daughter, and then that guy who's in it. And we're apparently expected to take from that half an hour that the daughter and this guy have fallen instantly in love and will do anything for each other. Uh, and now he's got to be mates with her dad. Yeah, Something it's a stressful like situation. It, it, <laughs> a lot of relationships start in these sort of situations, don't they? He's an investigative reporter. He's, you know, finding the human story. Yeah, he likes running around filming interviews on a DSLR camera without any sort of microphone equipment. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best he could do at this, Sean. <laughs> Dub it in later. Should we just hammer it home for anyone listening who's not familiar with what goes on? Basically, this film, uh, what is it? Nicholas Cage is a pilot. There's his family. The, the the plot just kind of ticks along. Nothing really happens for however long. And then what? Twenty minutes in, ten, half an hour in. Yeah. Uh, the rapture happens. If if that means nothing to you, it's this weird Christian concept that I don't think has any actual basis in the Bible, but it's very prevalent in contemporary America for some reason. Uh, and the idea is that the end of times, when you know Jesus will return to Earth and have a big fight with the Antichrist, it'll begin with all of the pure uh, people worthy of heaven being ushered up into heaven, disappearing from Earth. Always depicted as just either them vanishing, or often in cartoons they'll like literally lift up into the sky. But you always see their clothes just being left behind because they vanished, you know, the the body. Everybody's uh, naked in heaven. Yep, yep, yep. Pure as, as in the Garden of Eden. So this film is basically that happens, and then all the people on Earth just being like, what the fuck? Which is quite a good premise for a film, I think, on paper. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's basically what's going on on Earth after Thanos snaps his fingers, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the major oh, yeah. difference being, the major difference being here... If we take the plane that we're sort of concentrating on as a cross-section of society, about maybe 10% of people have been raptured. Most of those are kids. It doesn't mm. seem like things would devolve into looting that rapidly. <laughs> yeah, I think in, re- in, in reality it would be probably even less than that. But even in the world of this mm. film, yeah, it's it's the film seems to be made by people who acknowledge that very few people are kind of good Christians in this day and age. <laughs> because that, to me, is the interesting part of the premise, like seeing how society would handle such a thing. I, I mean, we only see the immediate aftermath. I mean, the events of the film take place in, what, a day less? Mm, a few hours. So we yeah. don't yeah. get much. But in that day, there's lots of looting. There are lots of explosions. Uh, society has crumbled. But I just kept thinking, like, there can't... I mean, there would still be a lot of people left. Presumably all of the Middle East is still there because it seems <laughs> to only be Christians that get raptured. Yeah. yeah. And babies, even... Which is odd because I don't know how a baby can uh, be devout. Well, you can't uh, They're pure. Them. They haven't been tainted yet by... Uh, they haven't sinned yet, okay. I think. But it's only it's only babies who've been um, baptized, presumably, isn't it? Not baptized, um, christened, presumably, because oh, otherwise, because because in Catholicism, is this a Catholic film or a Protestant film? Christian, because <laughs> <laughs> in in Catholicism, 
abortions are so bad because the baby goes to limbo because they don't get to go to heaven because they haven't been christened. And if a baby dies before you christen it, it's like really bad. Ah. The film really doesn't want us to question that. I think it just wants us to believe that everyone under the age of, what, 13 is just Well, exactly what age, because the only kids we see are about eight. Um, And they're very careful not to show any sort of 15-year-olds who could easily have indulged in a little bit of sinful behaviour. Yeah, it's... it's, (laughs) Well, because the film never wants you to get into... God, God's a horrible piece of work, isn't he? Like, it never wants Um, to kind of acknowledge that. But they're obviously aware <laughs> that that's the case. <laughs> so I, I watched both versions of this. Yeah. The, the straight-to-video shit original one doesn't spend that much time on the plane, from what I remember. It, 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 really? I don't, I don't think they really had the budget to do aeroplane stuff. Um <laughs> Well, surely that's where you'd stay if you had no budget. On, yeah. On, yeah, well, it's 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 fucking weird. It's so weird. It it opens with um with uh, the main character in the Middle East, uh, Jerusalem or Bethlehem or something, and then yeah. a load of aeroplanes sort of just blow up in the sky, and they're like, oh, it's Israel v Palestine or something, and then an old man, like a knight, appears. And says something like, Oh, the chosen one and the prophecy and oh and then he's a news reporter. He's a news reporter, yeah. And he takes the news footage back to the newsroom. But then when he watches it back, the guy's not speaking English. And he goes, Oh, I could have sworn he was speaking English. Anyway, then basically the film just gets locked into this weird thing about the rise of the Antichrist. This there's this <laughs> this Russian leader who's played by a very clearly not Russian man doing a this <laughs> accent. Yes, it is me, the leader of Russia. I am and and he he makes a big thing about world peace. I think the whole world must come together to disarm our nuclear bombs. Nuclear bombs are responsible for half the world disappear. This kind of it takes place in like this UN war room. Most of it, they disarm oh. the world, and then basically, Kirk Cameron realizes that he's the Antichrist because, oh, the Antichrist. He's going to be charismatic. People are going to like him, even though they <laughs> went for like the cartoonishly villainous Russian man to be the anti. It's it's absolute fucking bullshit. Upon each of you, I grant all the power and authority. Due to your new positions, you are now kings and queens in your own lands, bringing prosperity and plenty to your peoples. Was it written during the Cold War, then? It seems a bit... No, I don't think so. (laughs) That's it, it's a weird hangover from an old time, isn't it? It says the first book was published in 1995. Oh, wow, well, that's more recent than I thought it would be. Yeah. But what what I was saying with it seeming like it it was part one of a like a young adult series is that there's just no plot. Like that's basically the end of the film is he realizes that this guy's the Antichrist and it's bad, and then it's like presumably setting up films where they have to stop the Antichrist and things like that. It's well, there there are two more films after that. Yeah, don't think I hmm. don't think I want to watch them to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I was thinking, this is a bit of a sidebar, but do you think if we have a look at his CV, can we work out exactly when Nicolas Cage stopped caring? Ooh, good one. 
Um, yeah, I mean, there probably is a point, isn't there? Because there was a point early on when he was really concerned with his career. and Exactly. My general image. view of his career is he won he won the Oscar uh, for Leaving Las Vegas in 1995, I think it was. Very good performance. And then after that, he did a string of action films. Like it made him a ma- it made him a big name, and he did the Rock Con Air. Uh, but that's it. But they were all those. They were a decent. But they were good quality of action but, movies. They weren't just that shit. But that's the point when he started earning real money, like proper huge star money, and then yeah. he, he he became dependent on the money. You know those those you know Tyrannosaurus Rex bones won't buy themselves. <laughs> I would say early 2000s is when he went downhill. Yeah, I'm going to say gone in 60 seconds marks the point where he stopped caring. I don't know about that. Because oh, no, because he did adaptation. adaptation is a couple of years later. Yeah, and Captain Corelli's Mandolin was, uh, I think, a sincere effort. And uh, yeah. Sunny Winter. Yeah, you know what? Maybe but not. But then, yeah, even after he does National Treasure in Matched 2004, it, but even um, after that, he's done The Lord of War, The Weatherman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which are like genuine, like. Well, he, I mean, he still oh, makes here we go. good films Two, now. 2006, think? The Wicker Man remake, and then Ghost Rider. Yeah. Uh, followed by Next, National Treasure 2, Bangkok Dangerous. Uh, that's. Here's the point it's, it's somewhere in 2006. But I mean, he still makes good stuff now. He, he still, you know, he, he he's just done Mandy. I haven't seen it yet, but people love Mandy. They're crazy about it. Yeah, I'm not um, saying he can't. I'm just saying, when did he stop caring about the the career and um, more about the money? I don't know if it's ever been like that. I think he's always kind of done not always, but I think he's he's been in a kind of two or three films for a paycheck, one film for me kind of rut for a while. But it cheapens his own brand. Oh, completely, like, yeah. Going from, you know, Bangkok Dangerous to, yeah. Um, sorry, I'm trying to find something that I like that he's done recently, but I can't. <laughs> uh, um, well, he did, he did Kick-Ass shortly after Bangkok Dangerous. Oh, I know you're a big fan yeah. of Kick-Ass. is awful, isn't it? Yeah, it's a terrible film. Oh, what? Oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got. I'm okay. I'm going back. I'm trying to. Fi- I'll find the last thing of his film that I saw that I I could say was you know all right. Uh, just give me a second. Uh, um, yeah, I think I think I'm going back to 2005, 2006 to find anything worth messing with. In but well, no, I, I I don't know if you like. I say if you look at his filmography now, he's done it. He, so he had a is a voice part. So I don't know if it quite counts. But he was in Spider Man into the Spider Verse. He played Superman in Teen Titans Go to the Movies, which is definitely something he wanted to do, rather than... Mm. <laughs> that's like a dream role for him. Um, <laughs> he he did Mandy, like I say, which is... I mean, that was that was in all sorts of critics, like, top films of the year list. People love... Like, it really went down well in a certain area. Uh, Mum and Dad, he did a couple of years ago, which was mental and certain... Like, that's... I don't think that was him just turning up to get a paycheck. I think that was him doing some, you know, a project he wanted to do. So, how much money has Nicolas Cage got then? Uh, I don't think he's where got does he much. put it? Yeah, I say exactly. What does he do with it? Because he, <laughs> he obviously well, it, needs he to keep earning it. Bullshit, doesn't he? He, um, I think he's got several different alimonies to pay off, including <laughs> one that he's. I think as of yesterday, he's trying to get annulled. No oh, god! I think, I think I think he got married about. Four or five days ago. <gasps> no way, really? Yeah. yeah. And then I think, like, as of yesterday, he's trying to get the marriage annulled because 
Oh. Because he was really drunk, apparently. <laughs> no. <laughs> he went to Vegas Shit. to do it. You know, it was... It, it's, I don't think... <laughs> Classic. I don't cage. think anyone could really claim it. It shouldn't be annulled, you know? <laughs> so that's where he's at now. But I think he's got a few marriages behind him. He's just got debts because he do stuff like um, he flew, he bought a castle from I think Germany or Austria, and then he flew it over to America brick by brick and had it reassembled. <laughs> oh dear! He, that's the sort of nonsense he does. He buys T Rex skeletons, and then turns out they were stolen, and he has to return them to the museum. And presumably, he's out of pocket for that. There's some sort of tax issue. I'm, I'm just flicking through his Wikipedia. I bet he's big. I bet he's a big gambler. Yeah, he seems to like spending time in Vegas and casinos and things. It doesn't seem like he'd be the best with money. Yeah. <laughs> and I spent three hundred pounds on a golden gun prop. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that, that is the that is that the is equivalent the, on your budget. That is that is the most <laughs> yeah. Nicholas Cage thing you've ever done, Alan. What's the most Nicholas Cage thing you've ever done? Ooh, um, okay. Um. What's the most right? To keep this easy, what's the most Nicholas Cage purchase you've ever made? Ooh, that's good. Um, I recently bought an owl experience for two. What does that mean? I'm not entirely sure. The details were vague. <laughs> but you basically meet some owls. Were you going on a date? <laughs> no, it's not happened yet. Well, let's go back to the film. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so a, a big thing I want to mention, right? So the a kind of principal character, the, this woman who's running around on Earth trying to... Well, it's ostensibly she's trying to find her younger brother who disappeared in her arms. So it's not like <sighs> he ran off and she can't find him, like a Madeleine McCann sort of situation. <laughs> she knows exactly what happened and she just won't admit it. And like it everyone else on the planet's going through the same exact thing. Which yeah. should really make her be a bit less, you know. She she should she yeah. You think the idea was not oh I need to find him. It's like oh I'll try and understand what's happened. But the, then the big thing is so she's running around. She's just we're just getting a kind of a snapshot of the panic and chaos that happens when a small number of people disappear. Then she sort of finds she goes to a bridge and she walks up this this ladder. And I was thinking oh right is she gonna go and look around and we're going to get this panorama with buildings on fire or something like that. And then she's about to throw herself off and kill herself. And I was like, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> and why? Why is she doing that? didn't. There was no build-up to it. There was no reason for it. It didn't fit her character. Can you explain it to me? I think because her brother and mum had been raptured and... Yeah. She obviously has no friends. There's no one else that she tries to call or communicate with other than her dad and the investigative journalist she met for 10 minutes at an airport lounge. It's it's ridiculous that in this film, once Christian God and religion is pretty much categorically proven to be real, people don't behave any differently. Not, yeah. not they don't like they behave. They they loot and stuff. They think, oh God, I'm going to kill myself. They don't think, oh, hang on. If heaven and hell are both categorically real, maybe I shouldn't kill myself and go to hell. Or to- <laughs> <laughs> but she is saved at the at the point of uh, killing herself through a phone call 
from that bloke she met earlier today who fancied her. Yeah. And that really picks up her spirits. Well, then she knows it was, that she has purpose. She needs to help them land the plane. It can lift your spirits, that, when you get a message from a, a prospect. <laughs> yeah. It can lift you right yeah. out of a funk. <laughs> yeah, I love the bit when the rapture happens on the plane. Nicholas Cage is in the cockpit. He goes back in after it's happened. And then all the passengers like come and start banging on his door. They're all like, oh, we want to see the captain, all this stuff. And he does a very cowardly thing of of like <laughs> switching off the like oxygen in, in the plane. Yeah, yeah. Putting down the the ga- the masks so that everyone has to return to their seats before they pass out. Uh, well, I think that's quite a nice idea. That's a good little. That's probably like what pilots are taught to do if like if you're getting mobbed by the thing by the passengers. Uh, yeah. Just yeah. Take away their oxygen. <laughs> I just thought it was funny that, like, the passengers, first of all, thought that the captain of the plane had the answers. I don't know, maybe in that kind of situation you would behave irrationally. But just that it would have the star of the movie behave in such a cowardly way. Like, I was expecting the door to fling open and then he'd maybe have some, like, speech. (laughs) (laughs) I quite like that. I think part of the problem is that, in terms of characterization. Nicholas Cage is not making any effort. I don't know what the character's thinking at any point uh, or mm. like what he's going through. He's just saying words and making, yeah. <laughs> doing actions. Uh, but yeah, the uh, I did find it interesting how easy it was to access the cockpit of this plane in a post 9-11 world. Yeah. <laughs> surprising that, wasn't it? Yeah. I can't imagine seeing this film like, because this was theatric theatrically released and I just can't imagine paying and sitting because the cinematography is terrible it looks really dull and flat and the music's horrible well uh, can you remind me because I I mean I only watched this again for the second time a few days ago but I've already pretty much forgotten all of it but my notes about the, the Kirk Cameron one are basically that there's just no plot until the final 10 minutes. It's like this event happens, mm. everyone flails around not knowing what's going on, and then eventually a bit of plot kicks in with this Antichrist thing, but it's only at the very mm. end. Is, is this one the same? I mean, obviously there's no Antichrist, but is it very much just there's no actual plot, there's no conflict, it's just this mad thing's happened and no one really knows what to do about it? Actually, the, in this, uh, one of the problems with this film is that the the big the big drama of the film, which is is this plane going to crash? Isn't it going to crash? Oh my god! What are we going to do about it? Which, like, the whole film needs to be built around. Basically, it's a disaster movie. It, it, the drama of that and the whole ending is undercut by the fact that hey, the rapture's happened. No one seems to be mentioning that. We've just had this happy <laughs> ending where you saved the plane and you're all happy together. But you know what? The rapture's happened. Your wife and brother and the son have disappeared yeah even if they all die in an airplane crash we know there's an afterlife so who cares I but mean, that, yeah, that's it. it's just hell but <laughs> the, the main the main thrust of this film the rapture is never dealt with it's yeah. never yeah. even even on quite that, a superficial level in terms of, of like oh how would i be affected if my loved ones disappeared and i was left behind because i'm a sinner that's but not that, but, really it, but it never with. it never gets into it on a level of oh, I know they're up in heaven now. You know what, actually? One thing I will say in favour of the Kirk Cameron film is one of the characters is a sort of attempt at doing some of this. It's far more interesting than most of the characters you get 
here. One of the characters mm. in that film is a priest who, um, or a preacher, who is left behind. And so the whole thing is, what the fuck, you know, but you know the Bible inside out. You know it off the, you know, you could recite it word for word. And he's like, yeah, but that's not the same as believing. That was in this film, not the Kurt Cameron yeah. one. Was it? Yeah, it was just like one <laughs> scene where she goes and meets... Yeah, No, he's, he's like a main character in the Kurt Cameron one. Oh, they do touch on it in this. Uh, but, like, the fact that he's one of the main characters, I think that's more of an interesting starting yeah, point than yeah, most yeah. of the characters. It's not done particularly well. And ultimately, it's, it's coming down on a side of, you've got to have blind faith, that's a virtue for some reason, mm. which is just a bit like... Uh... But then, presumably, the second the rapture happens, he does believe in it. But mm. it's too mm. late at that point. Too late. It? No loopholes. So there's only one rapture, and then everyone else that's even people who weren't alive, everyone that's born after that doesn't get anywhere near heaven. I think you can still go to heaven if you die after that, if you turn your life around, presumably. But I think, yeah. I think in theory, heaven and hell will kind of cease to exist in their in whatever form they take because the rapture's happening and it's like end of times, and I don't quite mm. know how it works. In uh, okay, so anything else to add about Left Behind? I was actually quite disappointed after uh, God is Not Dead, which was quite easy to rally against and yeah. enjoy the badness. I know what you mean, because this is on this is in IMDb's bottom rated movies of all time, number 33. Mm. Really? And I feel like that's kind of unwarranted, because yeah. it wasn't that bad. There were some bits where I was I had to laugh, and especially because yeah. it's it's directed very earnestly. But when you <laughs> yeah. have a dog like pouring at the empty clothes of its former <laughs> owner, uh, yeah. that that did uh, raise a smile. And some of the acting on the plane is really bad. Yeah. Um, yes. Do you want to do a little quiz about Easter? I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. An Easter quiz. Okay, well, seeing as, it's, seeing as it's Easter, we tend to stuff ourselves with chocolate <laughs> and um, paint, <laughs> paint eggs with colourful paints, but we forget that there is a there is a religious side to the holiday. Um, so I've got a, a few religious-themed um, Easter questions. This is unfair. This is Sol's favourite holiday because it's a zombie holiday. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see out of the two of you who has been... Paying the most attention to Left Behind and can answer these uh, religious Easter questions. I think we're going to do back and forth here. So, Alan, you will be first. A procession is a procession headed by which symbolic object? (laughs) A crucifix. (laughs) Uh, I I, I will accept that. I would have also accepted a cross. (laughs) Alan's going to win this. I was thinking crustacean, <laughs> lobsters, what? Is that, is that an official term, a crustacean? Or is that... Apparently, sort of... yes, according to my quiz here, I which I that's... googled. Is I that like Catholic Church, though, or is that like modern Americans sort of making up a... Mm-hmm. Who knows? <laughs> um, okay, Sol. At the Last Supper, what food did Jesus liken to his body? Uh, bread? Correct. <laughs> Right, we're one apiece. (laughs) Okay, Alan. uh, How many days does Lent last for? 40. 
Yes, correct. Everything's 40 days in the Bible. It's just this sort of generic thing. Sol? Yeah? What day precedes Ash Wednesday? Um, Pancake day! Pancake Tuesday. Alan! (laughs) That was Sol's question. Well, that's why I gave a joke answer instead of the real one. It's is oh. it Shrove Tuesday? Whatever. Shrove. The well, Tuesday yes, is. I would, I would, I would have also accepted Pancake Day. Yeah. <laughs> what do you, is that in the Bible? Uh, I think it is actually. Oh, it isn't. Is it not? Oh. What? Why did we learn about it in school? It was born out of a. It was born out of the run up to Lent because it was like right, let's eat up everything in the cupboards. Right. Uh, Alan, how was Jesus fastened to the cross? Fashioned to the cross, sorry. How was Jesus fastened to the cross? Uh, In a sort of spread eagle position. (laughs) Uh, How was he fastened to it? Um, I don't know. I don't know where you're pitching this because so far these questions have been extremely easy. So I'm assuming assuming you mean nails uh, through the the, uh, wrists, but probably Uh, by ropes if you're going to be... More yep, there we go. There we go. Yeah, you got it. Well done. <laughs> do you, I mean, Calvin, do you know much about Christianity? Because <laughs> this is like the sort of questions you'd ask at a seven-year-old Sunday school quiz. <laughs> I thought I'd pitch it quite like low, just to see. I know, you, you, know. you two are heathens. I'm educated in the way of the Christian. One sec, let me, because there were there were degrees, there were categories to this, and I picked some easier ones because I thought, you know, I don't want to go too hard on them, but right, right, Sol, yeah, Maslini- Maslinitsa or Shrovetide is an Eastern is an Eastern Slavic religious and folk holiday celebrated during the last week before which great event? Before what? Sorry. <laughs> What is the great event that you celebrate? Um, I mean, is it is it when Jesus rose from the dead as a zombie? That's, is that, that Lent? That's not Lent, is it? <laughs> no. Oh, okay, then. No, you got that one wrong. Oh. <laughs> is Lent a great event? I thought Lent no, was a No, it's a 40-day of... thing. <laughs> but the way it was worded, I, th- I thought we were talking about... It was a very odd, it was, oddly what, worded like, question. Where it was though. placed, like, what? event in the bible it took place before like a great flood or something yeah i don't think much of this quiz like one of the questions on this particular category is what is the name of roger rabbit's wife (laughs) (laughs) okay we'll do we'll do a couple more alan on what hill was jesus crucified oh can Um, i i want to say golgotha Nope. Uh, that's, Sol, that diff- that's a different is, thing, what's, isn't it? What's Calvary? Is that? <gasps> you got it right. Oh, nice. Oh, well done, Sol. You can pull it back now do I get if a you. Point uh, for that? Yes, you do. Yeah. So you can win if you get this one right. <laughs> Quite impressed with myself with that. <laughs> which, which Mary was the first to speak to Jesus after he rose from the dead? Oh, um, well, it's not. It's not. The Virgin, the slutty Mary. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to press you for a name. <laughs> Mary Mad- Magdalene. Oh, you won. Is that it? Mary Magdalene. Yeah. Yes. Yay. Soul is the better Christian. Yeah. She went up to him and she went, and he went, "Nolo mi tangere," which means, "Don't touch me." 
Is that true? Is that what he actually said? Well, is it true? Or is that what it says in the <laughs> is Bible? Is that what it says he said in the Bible? <laughs> yes. Well, it's the Latin version of what it That's says in weird, the Bible. That's weird, though, isn't it? Why would he say not. that? Because if she touched him, she he's like an apparition. He's not real. It's because he's pure or something, and she, if she if touched, she touched him, him, it would have made him unpure. She'd realise uh, that it was all like uh, some smoke and mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> She'd be like, oh, man, this is a dirty trick. And he's like going, woo! Yeah. <laughs> it was the equivalent of saying, "Don't, don't pay any attention to the man behind the curtain." <laughs> <laughs> it was very confusing at school when they tried to say he rose from the dead, but he's still dead. He's not alive. <laughs> Should we rate? Yeah. Um. So I I watched the Kirk Cameron film. Oh, yeah. It was awful. Um, no story, bullshit, badly made, nothing happened. One out of ten. Just to get that out of the way. (laughs) Really bad. Um, so comparatively speaking, the Nicolas Cage big budget version is more enjoyable. Um, I give it three out of (laughs) ten. Yeah, yeah, sort of the same sort of thing, really. And some sort of interesting things there that aren't very well developed. Four out of ten. Oh, that's generous. I I will go three out of ten as well. Mm. I I think there's a whole load of um, potential in doing sequels based on this nonsense. Yeah, because mm. it's just make a film about the rapture. Just what some people do when the rapture happens. It you know doesn't have to have any of these characters in it. it can be set anywhere in the world. Well, I like I like the idea of just setting a, like a nice little emotional drama, like maybe a family drama set in I don't know Iraq or something. And then there's just a thing on the news like, oh, some strange events in America where lots of people have disappeared. <laughs> and it's just sort of not mentioned. <laughs> you just get on with the film, the story you want to tell. Hmm. Yeah. If we want to be more specific, how would you follow this film with like following maybe the Nicolas Cage character? Well, you have to have him, his daughter, and Chad Michael Murray back. And then. I don't really know, because, I mean, in, in a real-world scenario, I think there'd be a couple of days of chaos, and then governments would, you know, stabilise, and um, things would more or less go back to normal, just yeah. with less population. That's it, it'd be, it'd be chaos, and there'd be a lot of weird shit to deal with, but it it wouldn't be... It would only be chaos insofar as, like, oh, my internet keeps going down more than normal. What do you mean my favourite takeaway place is closed? It, it, you know, it, it would more or less be life as we know it, I think. Yeah. Except for this whole thing that you were talking about earlier, Saul, about the Antichrist. <laughs> I guess that's a big component. Because I don't really know. They don't mention the Antichrist in the film, do they? No. And the Nicolas Cage one. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess that's what you do next then. You have some devil figure. World leader to... steps into. Yeah. Hmm. But the thing is, how are you going to do that? Because for it to make sense, they need to be charming and, and appealing, mm. which means that they can't just be a kind of Vladimir Putin type. Don't don't they don't they make specific reference in this film to like seven years of darkness or something like that? Yeah, that 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 is part of the rapture. It's like a seven year period that's kicked off, whereby the Antichrist and Jesus shore up their armies and bring their armies together and then they're going to have a big war. Hmm. It's very Lord of the Rings and that's why it's not in the Bible. 
All the people who are raptured and taken to heaven, are they conscripted into the God army or are they sort of innocent I think they just chill out. It's just angels against demons. I don't know. I don't know. If, I I think depending what various depiction you're going with, I think sometimes Satan can bring forth demons and shit to help him. Hmm. I mean, like I say, I, I don't think it's got any real basis on anything. So it's just down to whatever Christian J.R. Tolkien equivalent has um, hmm. is writing. You could go into go into like a civil war thing. Yeah, make it that if you've been raptured, you're on God's soldiers. Those who aren't are on devil's soldiers. Nicolas Cage in a suit of armor. Um, my pitch is set up an elaborate thing outside Nicolas Cage's house so that he thinks the rapture's happened <laughs> and just film him with secret cameras and then occasionally throw actors at him to like pretend to do something. You know, just a very sort of Truman Show-esque kind of he doesn't know. It's just Nicolas it. Cage. I don't think you even need to do that. I think just just film Nicolas Cage without knowing. And <laughs> give us 90 minutes of that. Uh, well, if, you know, you know that, that show, that uh, First Dates, where they just film them having dinner? <laughs> yeah. He's just, yeah. Put, like, just put Nicolas Cage, a secret... Oh ca- like he's having dinner with oh someone. Oh my God. Uh, like that. having dinner with a lady. Uh, put a secret camera on him and just see what he says to chat her up. That'd be amazing. Oh my god, that'd be amazing. <laughs> I, I like genuinely. I, if you just wired his house with cameras, it'd be amazing. I bet he gets <laughs> up. I bet he like flexes in the in the mirror for a bit every morning, going, "Who loves you? I'm Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Kalel, my son." I bet he does all that for about half an hour every every morning. Then he probably mm-hmm. um, cracks open an egg and drinks it, and then like punches <laughs> the air, thinking he's Rocky or something. I, oh, I, I bet he's oh, I, I bet he is amazing to watch. <laughs> His agent phones him up. Nick, we got this. We got this script. It's great. It's a it's a drama about a poor farmer in in you know the olden days who has to. Can I do it with a? A uh, surfer California accent? <laughs> uh, no, no, you can't, Nicholas. I'm out. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I would love to see a kind of Paul Feig directed buddy mm-hmm. cop Jason Statham and Nicholas Cage vehicle. Yeah. Although Paul Feig would probably only do it if it was like Nicholas Cage and I, mean, I want to say Melissa McCarthy. It seems. To be- <laughs> Too obvious, but that's it. It's like it's like Bruce Willis and Tracy Morgan, and it's like you've got to. Nicholas Cage is going to be the one who doesn't quite understand comedy and <laughs> and, and doesn't know how to improvise. Uh, although I imagine he can improvise, it'd just be completely fucking mental. <laughs> yeah, I'm a sexy cat. <laughs> Thank you for listening, and if you'd like to support the podcast, then why not go to patreon.com forward slash dimreturns, where for just $1 a month, you can get extra content, such as our discussion of the television show The Good Place, which is all about a more non-Christian idea of the afterlife. And if you don't like spending money, just hop onto iTunes and give us a rating on there. Every little helps. See you next week. <laughs>